Good morning, everybody, and I'd like to add my welcome today. My name is Andrew. I'm the assistant minister here. We're going to look at that passage. As we come to the last in this Life Within Limits series, as Tim told us, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And the reason why we've looked at this book as a congregation is to help us once more to think seriously about the kind of lives uh, that we're living. Uh, this year as a church, we're starting to work through some material we call, they call emotionally healthy spirituality. And this is, reminds us that we can actually only live a healthy life with God as Christians if we're willing to engage with the reality of suffering, grief, difficulty and perplexity in our lives rather than ignoring them and pretending that they don't exist. And Ecclesiastes really helps us here to get to grips with the way the world is. As we've seen, the teacher is a really wonderful help in this uh, goal to be realistic about life because in this book of wisdom, he relentlessly exposes the strategies that we use uh, to try and build a life that ignores the reality of the limitations we have as creatures. And he makes us face sort of the dark side of life and to come to grips with what's that, what that means. And so for the teacher, as we've seen again and again, the key idea in this book is what we read in our Bibles as meaningless or meaninglessness, but uh, we've talked about that. Uh, it's a Hebrew word called hevel, which doesn't mean what we think of, of as meaningless, but as something that is a smoke or a mist, an enigma, something that we can't grasp, something that we can't hold on to. Life, he says, is something that we don't really understand. The things that we grasp after in life elude us. They're just like smoke that we can see but we can't grasp. And so each week we've seen him take on some of the cherished projects of our lives and find that they are, in fact, Hevel. So things like the pursuit of success and pleasure, of money and possessions, of happiness, of wisdom and righteousness and enjoyment in life, all of these things in the end come to nothing, are meaningless, swallowed up by the ravages of time, the absurdity of the world and our oncoming death. So the, the teacher of Ecclesiastes is a pessimist. He sees, a, I would say, he sees a cloud between every silver lining. Um, but this is the world in which we live, he says. It's life under the sun. And this is, we need to get to grips with that. We have seen, though, along the way, that Jesus doesn't quite see the world in the same way the teacher does. He's offered us a way higher than that. But we first need to get to grips with the world as we experience it uh, before we move on to that. So today in our last reading, um, Ecclesiastes calls us, addresses all of us on our journey through life to take heed of where we are, where we're headed, so that we can weigh what is the best for us to do now and um, about how to understand the times of our life. So he thinks, he thinks about the different seasons of life that we go through. Now you may have thought about and you may have an opinion upon what, what is the best time of life? Which stage of life is the best time, the one that you would choose if you could stop time and live that way forever? Um, I never met my grandfather, but I hear that he used to say all the time that childhood was the best time of life, uh, before, before you have responsibilities and cares. And that's to be understood from someone who lived through the Depression and World War II as a young man. Perhaps he did see that the only time in his life that was truly free from care was his childhood. Uh, so some of us might say that the best time of our life is not our childhood, but perhaps our youth. When we're carefree, we have lots of energy, time, and every opportunity is still before us. And we still have our natural good looks. Um, <laughs> perhaps... <laughs> 
Perhaps, though, the middle of our life is the best. You might say that that's the best time. When you're, we can start accumulating achievements, perhaps building a family and a life, when we have so much going on, but we still have the energy to enjoy it. Or perhaps the best time of our life is our retirement, when we can rest, we can reflect on life, when we can do things that we've been putting off for years and enjoy the rest of time that we have. So I don't know what you think. You might, we might be worth talking about and reflecting on that. I observe, though, that when people answer this question, often we pick a time that's different to the one we're in now. So we look back and remember a time that was very good in the past, perhaps when we were a child, or look forward to the future, to a time we think is going to be the best. And I think there's probably something there that speaks about our ability to be satisfied with our life and how we understand it. So the teacher thinks, though, about life and what's enjoyable in it, and he would say that all, of our, all the times that we have have opportunities and challenges, but I think he does have a preference, like my grandfather did, for the time of youth um, as a time of enjoying life. So he says that the good days are the days when we're young. So in verse 12, verse one, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, before the days of trouble come, before the years approach when you will say, I will find no pleasure in them. So he says when we're young, it's easier to enjoy life because we're healthier, we're stronger, and there's more time for joyful adventures, more time to enjoy the good things that life has. Um, of course, he still says that life and vigor, are, youth and vigor are meaningless um, in verse 10. But regardless, he says, this is a time when we have a greater opportunity to, for joy uh, and we should take it when we can. In verse 6, he says, this is a time to sow your seeds, to start new things that have potential for growth, to see what could come from what your life is going to bring. And crucially, he says, our youth is the time when we should start to pay attention to God and, and to life. In, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And he says that because he would say it's easier to see the goodness of God when life seems good and we have lots to be thankful for, when we're still enjoying life. Uh, and after then, we can live our lives and the rest of our lives in the, um, in the awareness of God's presence. So remember God when you're young and you can still see him at work in the world and, and life seems good, rather than coming to it later when things aren't so easy and it may be harder to see the signs of God's goodness. So this is this sort of paradox in wisdom, in this wisdom. He says it's easier to seek God when we're young, but we know, um, many of us, that, that when we're young is a time when we don't feel the need or interest in seeking God because life is so full of joy and full of things to do. So if you look at churches, um, unfortunately we see people tend to go missing uh, from about 18 to 35 often uh, because of this. Life is, there's so much to enjoy, um, we don't remember God. But he says you must do that because otherwise you'll miss a perspective on life. So he says he does think life is best when we're young. We have the gifts of God and the ability to enjoy them. Uh, and to contrast, he is quite negative, as we read in this chapter, about the goodness of life as we get older. So he has a, he has a perspective on age that's fairly pessimistic. He does say in verse 8, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But he, do, but he backs up that assessment with a very negative um, idea about the likelihood that we're going to actually enjoy that time. And that's probably partly because he lived in an age which, with much more primitive health care than we have now. And so people did find the old age very hard. But of course, that's still a common complaint of many people, isn't it, about how life goes as we go on. So chapter 12 is a fairly grim picture of the decline of human life as we age. Uh, there's lots of images there about people doing things, and it's often taken as a poetic picture of the gradual failing of our physical faculties and mental faculties as we go on. We are creatures of limits, he says, and as we go on through life, our strength fails, 
And the parts of us that worked very well when we were young, they don't work as well as they used to anymore. Uh, and the joy of life departs with, uh, with them. Uh, Camille and I have been married for 10 years now, which gives people an excuse to look at our wedding photos and make choice comments about the ravages of time. Uh, and the consensus seems to be that Camille hasn't aged a day since we were married, and she's perhaps even a bit younger looking. But I, on the other hand, apparently look a lot older than I did, and more distinguished, perhaps, back then. Perhaps. More grey. But I've changed, and we all do. Um, and, and we can see it if we look back. So the teacher is saying this is what happens to us all. You know, even if we are young, eventually we do, we do pass into this new stage when things don't work the way that they used to. And so despite his contrast between youth and age and the various benefits of them, in the end he does say all of this for all of us is Hevel. It's a fleeting, meaningless thing. Youth and its pleasures, old age and its cares. All of us, young and old, are marching through life towards the time when, he says in verse 5, then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. When the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So he says all of us are going to arrive at this final end it doesn't matter how young we are now, that's in our future. And I think that's a hard thing for us to accept, um, and that's why he insists on reminding us of it. And I think one of the symptoms for us of our failure to accept this, this reality that we're all headed into this uh, final end, is that we still do battle amongst each other about the things um, uh, that we enjoy in life. But there's a sort of a battle between the generations about enjoying the life that we have and how we treat each other. And this comes up around sort of things like um, how, you know, what we do in our society and things like how we deal with home ownership and, and the, the distribution of the good things in life. So often younger people see older generations as being very conservative, holding on to things, holding on to the past, holding, hoarding wealth and not passing it on, um, and crushing the hopes of young people who, who want to just enjoy life when they're young. Just please just give me uh, my inheritance now. I want to enjoy life while I'm young. But on the other hand, older generations often see young people as sort of selfish and entitled, um, not understanding the realities of life, wanting everything given to them without working for it, and not appreciating the gifts that they have, um, wanting, th wanting things that they, you know, before their time. And you've, I think we've, you've often heard this sort of uh, thing being said from time to time. We fight each other over the way the world is and what we have, because we're trying to enjoy the time that we have, even though it is Hevel. So because, but in the end, the, the teacher would say, this conversation is actually in the end meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. It's a distraction from the reality that the days of our lives are running through our fingers like sand. We're trying to hold on, but they don't stay. Um, the teacher would point out we're failing to face up to this reality and live wisely if we don't understand this. Young and old people struggling with each other over money about how our societies run and the opportunities that we have in the future are like children fighting over a sandcastle which is going to be washed away when the tide comes in anyway. Everything is going to, the, everything's going to come to an end. And in the end, all of us are going to face the end of our world and the limits that come to us all. So there's nothing to actually to hold on to and nothing that lasts. And that's pretty much how he ends the book. So it's not a, very, uh, not a very optimistic and cheerful way to end. Everything is meaningless. Everything is going to pass away. Uh, and nothing, there's nothing for us to hold on to. There is an epilogue to the book of Ecclesiastes, though, after the reading that we had today. 
from verses 9 to 14 of chapter 12. I'll just read from verses, verse 13 to 14. So it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now people, many people read this as a kind of final optimistic twist to the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, yes, life is meaningless, but if you fear God and trust him and keep his commandments, life will be meaningful. I don't think that's quite what he's um, saying there, though. What the teacher has given us in the book up to that point is a true wisdom about life, that life is full of hevel, of meaninglessness, and we can't grasp the things that we pursue. So in the face of that, though, what we can do all we really can do is to live well while we are alive and enjoy our limited life, realising that even though we don't understand things, God is above them all, even if we don't know what he's doing. Now, I wouldn't call that a resounding victory for optimism, um, but it is a realistic view of life, and it's one I think the world would be a better place if we actually, if all of us followed that. So it is, it is though, a fairly sobering view of the world, um, and I think it's, it's, the, it's actually sort of the limits of wisdom under the sun, and that's what he's trying to teach us uh, in this book today. So but we, can we get beyond it is the question. Can we get beyond this uh, vision of the, everything coming to an end? Um, I don't think we can get beyond the wisdom of Ecclesiastes without a sort of higher vision of God's plan and for God to show more than that to us. Because there is actually, I think, too much smoke and mist in our lives, and... Uh, we get caught up in that and we get lost. And that's why again and again we, all of us fall into the trap of valuing money and valuing possessions and happiness too much, chasing after the wind, um, because we don't see what else we can do. That's why we're tempted to do that. So what we need to know is what, if anything, is beyond this mist and smoke? What is there that can give us more than this? Uh, I want to share with you a quote that expresses this idea. Uh, it's from a medieval English monk and a historian named, called the Venerable Bede. So he was talking to the King of England at the time, and he says to him, It seems to me that the life of man on earth is like the swift flight of a single sparrow through the banqueting hall where you are sitting at dinner on a winter's day with your captains and counsellors. In the midst there is a comforting fire to warm the hall. Outside the storms of winter rain and snow are raging. And this sparrow flies swiftly in through one window of the hall and out through another. While he's inside, the bird is safe from the winter storms, but after a few moments of comfort, he vanishes from sight into the wintry world from which he came. So man appears on earth for a little while, but of what went before this life or what follows, we know nothing. And this is really the vision of Ecclesiastes. We have this short time, this short life where we know the goodness of God and the gifts. We don't, we're not really sure what's beyond, um, what's beyond that. Fortunately, as Christians, though, we do actually have just such a vision of what follows this life. And it comes right at the end of the New Testament. So in Revelation 21, we have a vision uh, given to John of the, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, a place for all those who've been saved through Jesus. And this is the picture that he's given. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, 
for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this, then, is a view that we have been given as Christians beyond Hevel, beyond the mists, a view of what things are actually like if we get above the, the smoke of this world and see God's reality. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, um, a light at the end of this tunnel we've been go- we've, we're going through with death at the end. So I think that we can only actually understand and live the wisdom of Ecclesiastes if we live it in the light of Jesus and the hope that he offers. Otherwise, it's probably too hard. We're just going to chase the wind because it's too hard to face the reality of life. Um, you know, as we've looked at, at Ecclesiastes over the past few weeks and listened to what he has to say, it just might have struck you as being too sad, too serious, too somber, too gloomy to take seriously. Uh, but what he's doing, if we, read it, if we read this book properly and understand it, is he's offering us a freedom that comes from a true perspective on our life and the tools that we need to truly enjoy the life that we have in a way that's appropriate for the kind of creatures that we are. Because how can we enjoy life, this short life that we have, if we're constantly chasing the wind rather than accepting what's in front of us? If we're constantly being sucked away into pursuing wealth or things that don't last rather than the gifts that God's given us? So we are creatures with limits. It's how we've been made. But within those limits, we are um, sustained by the grace and the wisdom of God and his plans for us. We do have a higher hope um, than that. Um, We are like a bird flying through the hall, though, We have this short life and we can't actually grasp anything meaningful or lasting as it passes by. And that's the experience that Ecclesiastes is talking about. But as Christians, we know that even in that short time, even in this short life that we have, we can begin to reflect the light of God and to enjoy the gifts that he has to offer and look forward to the joy that Christ has offered us, which is eternal. So we don't need in this life to get caught up pursuing meaningless things as though this is all we have. We can be content, take the good and the bad in life as it comes and and just enjoy the life that God's given us. And that's the freedom and that's the wisdom that Ecclesiastes offers us. So as Tim said, next week we're starting our new series on this generous life and that's uh, that's actually the opposite side to this wisdom, that having been given these gifts from God, how can we be open with them uh, to give to others in the hope that we have? So I'd like to pray for us now as we get to the end of this series and we think about the life that God is calling us to live. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation in in Christ that there is more to life, that there is a hope beyond the end of life that we have. We pray, though, within the life that we have in in this world, you would give us a perspective on the things that are important and the things that don't last. Please help us to pursue you, to accept our limits, and to enjoy the gifts that you've given us. We pray that we would do that, do so resting in the secure hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen.